You're listening to a Why Now podcast. This is Golden Nuggets podcast on whynow.co.uk. I'm your host, Al, and I'm a PE teacher of 15 years. This podcast is about interviewing key influencers in education and giving them a platform to deliver their story. I want to explore why and how they do what they do to better inform parents and pupils on their education journey. Okay, welcome back on the Golden Nuggets podcast. I'm here today with Lawrence Delalio, OBE. Uh, thanks for coming on board. Um, it's an absolute privilege to have you here, mate. How are you doing anyway? Are you okay? Yeah, I'm all right in these uh, in these crazy and strange times. It's uh, my great pleasure to join you. Um, nice to talk to someone outside of my own family uh, for a few minutes. Um, not that I don't uh, get on with my family, but uh, yeah, listen, it's uh, it's great to be on the show and uh, going to enjoy the next 40 minutes or so. <laughs> Good stuff. Well, um, for those, obviously, in the rugby world, most people know who you are, but for those that aren't in the rugby world, it'd be great to just sort of get to know a little bit about, you know, who you are, where you've come from, and, and what you've done, just briefly. Um, well, blow my own trumpet. It's not my, not my speciality, really, but my name's Lawrence, um, Lawrence Delalio, or Lorenzo Bruno Nero Delalio, to give it its full Italian version. Um, <laughs> I'm 47 years old now, born in 1972. Um, and as you say, a lot of people will uh, will, will know me from uh, from playing rugby. But, uh, you know, that was my career. I didn't really mean to be a rugby player. It sort of happened on me uh, when the game went professional in 1995. Um, I've uh, I come from uh, relatively humble beginnings. My father's Italian, was an Italian immigrant that came to this country in uh, the 50s. And my mother is uh, English, Irish, brought up in the East End of London. Um, I went to a sort of traditional rugby school. Um, I probably uh, got to a crossroads in my life where uh, sports and uh, and other things like music and, and other hobbies were were um, coming to that kind of decision-making. And, uh, and in the end, I chose sport, really. Uh, I never thought I'd be a rugby player, if I'm totally honest with you. Um, obviously, most of us want in this country want to go out and be uh, premiership football players um, and then when we realise that we're not very good um, or we get too big we play rugby and then um, ultimately if you can't catch they put you in a boat um, and that's the <laughs> that's the evolution of sport really and uh, when I told Steve Redgrave that he didn't particularly like that really but there we go uh, yeah I ended up playing rugby and I retired from rugby in, uh, in 2008 so um, 12 years ago now so uh, I guess for any for any sportsman or or, uh, or woman, when you when you finish one career at the age of thirty five, um, you have to uh, you have to follow a, a you have to reinvent yourself in many ways and come up with a, a new way of working. Um, since then, I've I've done a number of different things, um, and including um, you know staying involved with a sport that I love. I'm heavily involved with Wasps, uh, the club that I. Uh, was at for over 20 years. I sit on their board as a director and, and sort of help to try and shape the future of that club. Uh, I'm still involved with the sport and the media, um, working for the likes of the Sunday Times and BT Sport and ITV. So that keeps me very close to the game. Um, and I set up my own charity 10 years ago, Rugby Works, which we'll talk about a little bit later on. Um, and that's my way of kind of giving back really. So uh, yeah, a number of different things that I'm involved in. Um, but uh, people, as I said, will remember me for uh, for what we did on the rugby field. Well, um, like, yeah, thanks for the great intro. I think the purpose of this one was about being selfless and your impact on society. 
and the OBE for services to rugby and specifically about your charity. Um, if we just sort of touch upon like growing up now, who are your influences growing up? Is it from school days all the way through? Well, I think um, I think for the majority of people, when whenever you're asked that question, um, you'd hope that the first answer that they come back with is is closer to home. Really, um, you know, we arrive in this world with with nothing, and we leave with nothing. Um, that is a fact, and uh, what happens in between is really important. But my biggest influences. Um, were from my parents my mother and father quite simply um you know both of them in in different ways uh, shaped the rest of my life quite frankly and you talk about being selfless you know what what is being selfless well you know to me by definition it's it's putting other people um and the the needs of other people and the wishes of other people uh, before yourself and that was something which growing into a uh, growing up in a, in a in a family of, as I said before, of uh, Italian um, extracts, Italian origin, but also uh, um, of of sort of uh, working class East End values. Um, putting other people first was was something that I was, you know, taught from a very early age. You know, we're on this planet together without sounding too deep. Um, you know, we're not. You know, yes, it's nice to have time on your own, but life is about sharing and it's about giving. Um, and that was that that, that was um, very much drilled into me um, from an early age. So my, my parents would be the, the biggest uh, role models, mentors, mentees, whatever you want to call them. Um, my mother's no longer with us. She she passed away in 2008. Um, my father is still alive. Um, and yeah, I think I, I just re- remember from from a very early age, the enormous <clears throat> sacrifices probably didn't appreciate it as much at the time but I remember the sacrifices that my parents made to give me and my sister who was alive then I lost my sister very tragically in the, in the Marchioness riverboat disaster in London on in 1989 but when we were both alive growing up um, our parents making enormous sacrifices um, in terms of their own lifestyle their own um, uh, luxuries all the all the sort of things that uh, other people may have chosen to to enjoy themselves they 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 forewent those to to provide a better life and a better upbringing and a better education for us so th- th- there's no greater act of, of being selfless than than really that to be honest with you and just to touch on on further role models as you know as men particularly young boys i think are really um you know whether it's a um just a maturity thing a puberty thing whatever it is i'm sure it's been proven scientifically that that they do need a bit more of an arm around them from an early age than perhaps young young girls do, and uh, I think having role models for young men, uh, particularly, is is really important. Um, you know, they start hopefully in your own house, and then they start to grow and develop as you as you move forward. Whether it be teachers at school, um, I was lucky enough to have many role models um, and great great teachers at school. Um, be be that sport or or music. Um, uh, particularly uh, had a music teacher who really who really um he used to he came around he wanted me to learn the piano and he realized that my parents well, my, my parents basically couldn't afford the extra piano lesson so he taught me for nothing you know and and that's just giving his time and that was a selfless act which uh, which I greatly appreciated um you know my, my one of my first sort of rugby coaches John Wilcox at school he played for England in the 1960s at fullback um, he was a pretty tough man, pretty hard disciplinarian, but again, 
um, you know, that was a, a huge influence. So I think role models, are, uh, there, there's been many, but, but for me, I'd always, I'd always start with, with what happened, at, you know, uh, at home. What sort of sacrifices, you mentioned about, obviously, um, your mum making sacrifices. What, does that, what did that actually look like? Well, I think, um, I think t- to be honest with you, it, it, it starts really with, I mean, you know, finances weren't, you know, weren't flowing in our house. Um, and my mum was, was, you know, very strongly religious, very, very Catholic. She would always say that, don't worry, the Lord will provide. And, and I would sort of scratch my head and say, well, you know, how does that work then? I mean, does he, does he actually, does he post it through the door or what? what you know? So I think, um, you know, she was, she was quite philosophical and, and very religious, but, you know, she would go out. I mean, just just as a um, just to put it into perspective, you know, my dad had a had a reasonably good job. He's but he started life as a waiter. He, he eventually worked his way up the uh, the system and became uh, uh, a man that reached the top of his profession. But along the way, we had some real struggles. And um, you know, my my mum would go out and do three or four jobs. Um, you know, literally uh, at the same time to provide um, you know clothes, food. Um, education my mum was determined that we would uh, we would have the very best education that, that that could be found um so you know I'm, I'm not quite sure how they managed it but uh they 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 got enough. i think my sister got a scholarship they got enough money together to send me to uh, to to a place called ampleforth college which was you know regarded as the, the the best catholic school in the country so i think um you know just just putting and in many ways, they could have easily sent me to the school up the road, um, and uh, maybe that would have been okay. But it wouldn't have opened as many doors, as many opportunities as uh, as uh, as I had. So I think putting the, the the future of myself and my sister very much at the forefront of their decisions was was just a huge act of selflessness from from both my both my parents really. And how did your time at Ampleforth affect you? Do you think? Well, I, I mean, just for those who don't know, it's a, it's a, you know, it's an independent school. Uh, it's run by predominantly Benedictine monks with a number of lay staff. It's founded in 1802 uh, when the when the Benedictine monks were driven out of uh, France, uh, and it's you know a premier uh, premier school. And when my mum said to me, uh, I think I was about 12 years old, she said, "Look, we're going to send you to this place called Ampleforth." And I said, "Well, where's that?" She said, "It's in Yorkshire." And I said, well, where's that? Uh, and uh, I said, so have I done something wrong? You know, do you not like me or something? You know, that you have to send me 350 miles away to go to school. Can I, can I not just go to school up the road with my mates? And, and she said, no, 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 this is the best, you know, this is the, the best Catholic school in the country. Um, you know, you're going to, you're going to mix with, uh, with, with, you're going to rub shoulders with, with, you know, some of the, uh, uh, some really interesting people and from very different backgrounds, etc. And, you know, I went up there, and I think it, it took me a while to to accept it and to understand it. But I, I think when I when I settled, um, you know, because boarding school was 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 not not the easiest thing, especially when you came from London from a slightly different background to seemingly to everyone else who was at the school. But once I settled, I realised and appreciated, um, you know, that the school offered me opportunities that that just was simply not available, you know, in a bit closer to home. So, um, and that's probably where. The game of rugby started to become a really uh, prominent play, a really prominent role in my life. My dad <coughs> phoned me up. Uh, there weren't mobile phones in those days, so just getting hold of your parents was was quite a challenge. There was one phone in the in the, in my house in the school, and that it was 
basically on a on a kind of depending on what size you were dictated when you actually got to use the phone um so i didn't speak to my parents for about six weeks and they were a bit worried by that um and you know i sort of reassured my dad that actually don't my dad there's only one phone and you know it takes a bit of time but uh being Italian, he said to me, you know, what's, you know, he likes to talk all the time. And he said to me, what's going on in your life with sport? And I said, well, I'm playing rugby. And he said, well, rugby, what, what, what is rugby? And I said, well, I'm not too sure, actually. I said, no one's really passed me the ball yet. But, uh, um, and, you know, it, it really, it, it moved on from there. And I remember being away for about three months. And then I came home and I... Um, I went into his study and he, he bought this book, The Laws of Rugby Union. And uh, he'd obviously been to the RFU and he bought this book. And I said, Dad, that's really interesting. I saw you've got this book on your desk, The Laws of Rugby. He said, well, my son's playing rugby. I need to understand um, what's going on in his life. And I said, well, look, I'll be honest with you. I've played half a dozen games. It doesn't appear to be any laws at all. It's just, <laughs> it's, just uh, it's a pretty tough game. But but he's uh, he's now in a, uh, you know obviously my parents followed my rugby career throughout and and to be honest um, you know they you talk about being selfless I, I wouldn't have been able to do in rugby or my sister in dance um, she was a she was a classical ballet dancer an amazing dancer before she sadly passed away we we wouldn't have been able to 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 have enjoyed those two disciplines without the the selflessness of our parents you know either financially or or physically taking us to training, doing all the things that a lot of parents do up and down the country, but so for years and years and years. So, uh, yeah, that was, I, I certainly owe it to, to, to them for sure. You, you mentioned your sister a few times there. Mm. Uh, obviously, before she passed away, um, what, how much of an influence did she have on you? Well, I think my sister Francesca was an amazing, uh, amazingly talented girl. She got into the Royal Ballet School aged eight uh, after about five lessons. Um, and she embarked on a, on, a, on a career where she just worked so hard. You know, she got a, she was honours in every single exam, and, you know, Spanish, jazz, classical, whatever it was. And, and even though she was away at, at ballet school for, you know, the majority of her, um, uh, you know, of her schooling, you know, when we did get together, we actually had a really, we were a very close-knit family. You know, we would spend a lot of time together, as you'd expect in an Italian, Irish household, you know. Um, mm. If you're half Italian and half Irish, it makes you a pretty dangerous Englishman. I think. Uh, <laughs> so, so I think um, you know, we I had a very happy relationship with my sister. And as I said, you know, I was 16 when she died. She was 19. We were both invited to the same party. She she went, I didn't, and she didn't come back. And look, it's a it's a tragic story. It's a very sad story. But um, and it and it definitely shaped, it shaped my life thereafter, as it, as you can imagine. But everyone has. Um, bumps in the road throughout their life um often you know you, you don't expect them to come along quite so so early you know pay, there's a there's a national there's a there's a natural progression to how life works you know you bury your grandparents and then eventually you bury your parents um what you don't expect to do is bury your children uh, or one of your children so i think it hits all really hard it blew our world apart at, at a particularly early age but also it then helped to shape all of our lives moving forward you know for me um you know, when I eventually came round, I think rugby became a really big focus for me. And, and I was, I've always felt when I, throughout my rugby career that I was driven by something a bit more than just wanting to play the sport. I was driven by a much higher purpose of, of wanting to, um, to honour uh, my sister and, and also do something to really sh help bring my parents together again. So without sounding too, again, too, too intense, it, 
you know, I, I made it a very emotional sport because uh, every time I walked out on the field, I, I thought about the implications of my, of my sister and, and all that sort of stuff. But no, listen, my relationship was a was a very strong one with her, um, and uh, she's certainly gone, but 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 certainly not forgotten. And so, like after having a quite a distinguished career in rugby. Um, Obviously, bringing on to charity stuff, which is what I really want to sort of invest in now, is is rugby works. Where did where did that come from, and and how and what was the reason behind it? Well, I think um, first of all, um, whenever I was when I was still playing rugby, which is a, a long time ago now, but I, I was always um, uh, conscious of of being able to use the position that you're in to. Um, you know, to, to have an influence and to, and to do good things. Um, because I think with success comes responsibility and it, it is about giving back. Uh, and during my career, I was sort of would, would align myself to charities and campaigns that would raise a lot of money for, you know, some wonderful causes, Help for Heroes, um, Cancer Research, whatever it might have been. Um, and then when I, when, when, when I was getting towards the end of my career, I, I really wanted to... Um, to, to do something much more personal. I wanted to, to, to get involved in a charity that I had a real uh, personal interest in, uh, in, a, in a space that I was really interested in. All the other charities that I'd supported were very worthy, but I think it, I just wanted to bring it closer to home. So uh, what better than to set up your own charity? So I set up uh, Rugby Works um, and the mission, if I could simplify it right now, is to help 14 to 17 year olds who are at risk of falling out of the education system um, and helping them find a pathway through to what we call sustained education, employment and training after they leave school. And, and by that, I mean kids who are, you know, for one reason or another, maybe excluded um, permanently or temporarily, whatever it might be from school. Because as I mentioned before, in my upbringing, you know, I had a number of things um, that I was very lucky in, that I can count. I was very lucky to have. I was, you know, I was given unconditional love and I was given a belief system by my parents that would allow me to go out and try and achieve pretty much anything in the world. I don't think every young person has that in their life um, and they need a support system around them. Um, you know, in my brief experience, no young people are born bad, um, you know, they, but, but they sometimes are born into situations that are beyond their control, whether it's, you know, extreme poverty or, um, you know, there might be some mental health issues that might be, poor parenting going on in their house there might be no parenting um there might be a history of chaotic behavior alcohol abuse you know so all these things uh, i think put a number of young young kids young people at a, at a distinct disadvantage in society and i think the gap between those who have and those who don't have is is getting bigger and bigger and so i think the charity for me was about using what gave me a, a real leg up in life rugby and the values of rugby to really transform the lives of those young people. So we now have over 500 young people on the programme across uh, England and Wales. Um, and it's about helping them really through uh, a number of different ways to make better and informed decisions about their futures. Um, and with all the potential issues that we've got right now in the world, particularly um, you know, with coronavirus and what might happen post coronavirus, um, I think our work, uh, with vulnerable um, young children is probably more and more important than it's ever been before. I think if we discuss like some of the success stories as well, um, I know reading your report, um, you've got a couple of people in there that have, re have really changed their life around. 
Um, can you just talk a little bit about who they are and, and how they how you've managed to do that? Yeah, well, I think the uh, the relationship that we have is that we go into what's called pupil referral units or alternative provision schools, um, which are non-mainstream schools. Um, so if you're excluded from mainstream, you end up in a pupil referral unit or an AP school. And we have a number of coaches across the country that go into those schools. We're not a after schools club. We're actually built into the curriculum of, uh, of the school day. So it might be nine in the morning, 10 in the morning. Um, and our coaches work with a group of young people in every school. And, and really what you're doing is you're building trust uh, and uh, you're trying to develop people in a, in a team sport like rugby, which I was involved in, you, you need to build that trust uh, amongst teammates and management to succeed. And sometimes being selfless at times, um, uh, you know, wherever it means covering someone uh, who's out of place or, or helping them. And, um, you know, rugby works uh, is very similar to that, really. Our coaches work very closely with young people on the programme, uh, understand their needs uh, as individuals, and they do their best to go kind of what I call above and beyond for them. Um, most of these young people have not necessarily had uh, role models in their lives that they can trust um, they've had people coming into their lives, promising them everything and then leaving again. So it takes time. You know, it's not a, something that happens overnight. You build up their trust. You encourage young people to go further, uh, not just for themselves, uh, but also for the, for the coaches perspective, too. A lot of the young people we work with have constantly been told, no, they can't do this. They can't do that. They're no good at this. They're no good at that. It's a lot of negative energy. Um, it takes time as a as a uh, as a coach as a as a, a teacher you'll know yourself to 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 change those behaviours and one of our success stories comes from a young man called uh, uh, Jay Bomb uh, who was one of the kids in our program in in London and was heading down what we call a negative pathway of of petty crime activity and and violence and until he joined our our rugby works program and through the support uh, that we gave him. Um, primarily through his his uh, his coach Kieran, Javon was able to develop skills which got him into college as well as securing a part time job, um, and it completely changed his mindset from having a negative pathway and doing and making you know ill informed poor decisions to uh, you know to making good decisions. And Javon now is running his own uh, mentoring scheme with kids in his area, uh, and it's a great story. And I think shows hopefully how the Rugby Works program is about promoting selflessness and and the ability to help young people think about their futures in a different way um and in many ways it's about putting a, an arm around them the proverbial arm you know i think it's pretty tough being a young person uh, in any walk of life at the moment um you know i i know myself i've got three young children and when they come out of school you know they might come to me and say dad i could really do with a bit of help you know to get a can, with a bit of work experience so I would use my wider network, pick up the phone, maybe send a few emails and, and try and help them out. And similarly, I'd get hundreds of emails from parents saying that my, my kid's really into sport. You know, what, what can you suggest? The young people we work with have got no one, no one at all that's helping them to do that. You know, so is that their fault? No, it's not their fault. They've just been born into a situation that is very difficult to change. And sometimes that makes them feel even more vulnerable and even more worthless. So, the programme is really important. And as I said, when we listen to stories like Javon's, uh, it, it, it's very inspiring. And just to give you and give people a few statistics, uh, about 65% of everyone in the criminal justice system has at some point been excluded from mainstream education. So 
what that tells you uh, very sadly is that the system of education not at the top at independent schools you know primarily not in, in in the majority of state schools but right down the bottom the system of education is fundamentally broken and at the moment you know we're excluding young people every day maybe about between the ages of 14 to 17 there's about 14 young people excluded every day and then if six out of ten of them are ending up in prison then that's telling us that something needs to happen and our program really is about dealing with the with the um causes rather than you know the problems that exist at the end of it it's a huge amount of people never even thought of that really as well well wow. yeah i mean and that's just the age and that's just between the ages of 14 and 17 and and in many ways the the reason i set the charity up is because i i wanted to work with some of the hardest i, I don't i don't like using the word hardest to reach because they're not hard to reach we know exactly where they are but it's the it's a part of society it's a part of society that, that people tend to forget uh, and almost ignore um and unfortunately it's a part of society that we can't continue to ignore because the implications of ignoring it are now very much evident on the streets because we're seeing a lot of um, gang activity we're seeing a lot of these young kids who if they're not given uh, certain opportunities will 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 be influenced in the wrong way and and, and go down a negative pathway so uh, yeah it's a it's, it's a very uh, it's a very rewarding charity and it's something that I'm, I'm going to continue to do because ultimately as i said earlier on in the piece you know we arrive with nothing and we leave with nothing and i think you know we all spend our lives chasing health wealth and happiness um, which is important but actually um, isn't giving important to and, and, and taking time to give back and be selfless. You know, if you, if, you, if you said to me, give me some examples of what it means to be selfless, you know, I would argue that listening, listening to people is, is an act of selflessness, not talking, actually listening to other people and making them feel that, that you have sympathy for what their problem is. Um, giving. Um, now you don't have to give money. It can be you can smile at people. You know that is an act of selflessness. You know there's there's so many. Um, I was brought up in a in an, as I said in an Italian household, which was very much about touch. You know there's a lot of there's a lot of hugs. Um, you know one of the reasons why probably Italy is suffering with coronavirus more than any other country, despite the conspiracy theories, is because they love to hug and kiss each other. You know the Italian greeting is to kiss each other twice on the cheek. You know and so, you know, a few carefully chosen words, you know, to someone, whether it be, you know, through a team talk or, or just a, a chat is, is an act of selflessness. Um, when, throughout this time, have you like walked down the streets and seen more people just saying hello from two metres away on a walk or? Yeah, I mean, I think, <clears throat> I think what, what this crisis has, has done is, is made us appreciate um, having other people around it's not just our family and friends but there's there's acts of selflessness going on all around the country and all around the world which are quite frankly just in, inspiring and mind-blowing really particularly from the emergency services from the nhs etc cetera, etc cetera. And, and it's made everyone realize um you know that the measurement of of life is not about how much money you earn uh, or, or what football team you play for or what rugby team you play for or or, or what bank you work for it, it, it's about doing true acts of kindness um and you know there's no greater act of selflessness than than putting your life um at risk to help someone else and that's what we're seeing now um and you know i've always felt that 
I've always felt as a sportsman, it's really tragic at times that we get put up on a pedestal um, and and called sort of um, heroes and role models when actually, you know, if you think about the people who have died for this country in times of war, people that are now risking their lives, you know, they are the true heroes of this country. And, and no one would want this situation, but in many ways what it has done is it's allowed the, the people who should be put up on a pedestal to be there because they've always been there they've always been saving people's lives but people have just taken it for granted hmm. and and now that you this thing this crisis has, has made us not take well has made us not take anything for granted not least our health um you know the right people are now being um put up and and uh, and saluted and hopefully um you know will be rewarded for the job that they do uh, in the future I think it's interesting because, you know, my wife works for the NHS and she's been flooded with free food and gifts and lots of amazing things. And I know that the intent is from kindness, Mm. but for her, she says, actually, I want you to give that food to someone who's on the streets, who's homeless. And even though she's risking her life every day going in there and coming home to bring it to me and the family, I think actually there's, there's, I think this time is actually really important from a global perspective. Uh, and maybe like what you're saying with empathy and kindness, um, we can help shape shape the future with that as well. So, um, I mean, get moving just just quickly through the sort of stuff that Rugby Works is doing. I think career tasting, CV building. You've got something called Eight Rocks. That sounds pretty cool. What's what's that about? Well, I mean, I mean, primarily, our, as I said, our role in society is to um, is to look after those young people who are most vulnerable most at risk and and obviously going into the schools with our coaches working with uh, you know to, to, to turn their lives around really to, to build up their self-respect build up their self-esteem and ultimately success um for, for us as an organization um is about getting these young people into full-time employment education so there's a pathway for them to a positive pathway for them to move on and shape their lives. Now, all of that requires a bit of funding, and uh, no doubt, every single charity, um, business, etc., across the world has been hit at the moment. But you know, in, in, in if the world was a, was was somewhere back to normal, ultimately, um, you know, we have to fund a lot of uh, a lot of the program. It's not a not a hugely expensive one, but it still does need um, funding. So, Eight Rocks is a is an annual event that we have a gala dinner, a big party, um, which is exactly that. It's fun. And we raise a few uh, a few pennies as well, so that's something that that people can get involved in if they want to have a look at the uh, you know the, the Rugby Works website. Uh, it's it's a lot of fun. I've you know been spending the last ten years since I retired from rugby um, every couple of years cycling halfway around the world to try and raise money and 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 encouraging and trying to persuade a few other people to come and do that with me. So there's a number of different ways you can you can get involved in the organisation. As I said. Money is important for every charity, for every organisation, but it's not just about uh, writing a cheque. I mean, that, that would be lovely and, and we'd, we'd accept that. But again, it, it could be about volunteering. You know, we talk about being selfless, um, you know, giving up your time. There's no greater thing than, than, than someone's time and their energy. And their, um, so volunteering is, is a really important part of that. And whether it be helping us to run a tournament, because we do play rugby with the, these young people, we could... You can get involved in refereeing or coaching or or just, um, you know, just being involved as a volunteer. So there's lots of different ways that we can do that. We run employability days where we give young people who wouldn't otherwise have 
the opportunity, just a, a, an idea about about what a job might look like. You know, they've they've never had those aspirations. So we take you know ten or twelve young people at a time, and we take them into a business and show them what a day what a day's work looks like in, in the different roles, uh, and what that does. Um, Alice says it just sort of it ignites a, a flame inside that, that might give them a little bit more passion about about wanting to go on and achieve certain things. And the employability days are certainly a, a huge part of uh, of what we do to uh, to ultimately get these young people thinking differently. And something slightly abstract: um, if you were to describe being selfless as a picture, what would it look like? Um, I think well, if I, if I talked about I talked about selflessness being about um, giving, really, um, and putting other people before yourself. Um, I don't know. I mean, a picture—a picture would be, for, for me, would be probably just someone giving up, giving giving something to someone else. That's what it was. Or, or even a you know, a, a picture of. I mean, what's the easiest way to describe it? So I had one, I had one from Warren Abrahams who I interviewed earlier in the week. And his was being South African, Nelson Mandela handing the trophy to Francois yeah. Pino in, in, in 95. What I mean, obviously, Nelson Mandela's story is quite impactful, isn't it? Um, yeah. Is there something, I know you mentioned you being creative yourself. Um, yeah. Is there something that's really resonated with you throughout your life? Um, yeah, I mean, it's, listen, there's, <clears throat> there's, there's always been things that have resonated with me in terms of... of um, you know, give, give, giving some of your time <clears throat> because you know not a lot of people can afford to maybe give money. So, but there's, but that doesn't mean you can't give and be selfless. And uh, you know, for me, it might be giving up a few hours to go and 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 help someone who's you know who needs you know feed the homeless, for instance, or go and help someone who who needs you know who who can't uh, who's living on their own. And I think what we're seeing now, right now in this moment in time, is is everyone looking after themselves and their family, but also thinking um, about acts of selflessness before, you know, about being selfless. How can I go and help? You know, I mean, I've, li- I've lived in the, in the street that I've lived in for the last 20 years, and it's taken 20 years to suddenly get a WhatsApp group of the entire street and to, for people to, to ask each other whether they need a bit of help with anything. You know, now, the reason being that for 20 years and we're all guilty of it we've all been plowing on plowing our own field going on with our own lives and and being focused on 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 as i said chasing health wealth and happiness and actually that's not to say that we're not you know we're we're not kind giving people but i think uh, it's something like this something as as uh, as horrific as this virus and this disease has made everyone stop and think for a second about living in the moment and that's the that's the that's the really important thing is not to think too much about the future. Uh, and it's something that I've really focused on over the last couple of years, try to focus on is about just being, you know, being in the moment and, um, and, and being free of anything other than what's happening right now um, and being present. And I think when you do that, then you see uh, and, and you hear things um, very, very differently. So uh, three golden nuggets, just to sort of summarize of being selfless. Um, well, I think I, I think I mentioned them before. I think you know, um, volunteer for something. Um, I think listening to people. I think it's really important. Um, and um, yeah, just offering your time, uh, whether that be through volunteering or, or whatever it might be. Um, 
and giving, you know, because there's there's many things that you can do in life. Uh, but I think the greatest gift of all is is, is giving something to other people, um, you know, whether that's uh, th- through emotion or whether it's physical or whatever it might be. Um, so, yeah, that they would be they would be the three nuggets for me. Well, absolutely fascinating. And look, thanks so much for coming on the pod. Um, I think it's, you know, the stuff that you're doing has been fantastic. And uh, hopefully if, if everyone can listen a bit more and give and be in the moment, then I think be, the world will be a happier place. Yeah, thanks very much indeed. Really enjoyed that. And we could talk for hours, I'm sure. But, uh, <laughs> really, really appreciate your time. Yeah. Well, um, thanks very much, Lawrence. And uh, yeah, all the best, mate. And stay safe as well. <laughs>